this section of Philippians chapter 4, which is we've been in Philippians, I looked back since January, hard to believe, right? We've been in Philippians, and we are nearing the end. We've got about three or four studies to go, but we're in chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 this morning. And this section of Scripture that we're in, verses 6 to 11, which we'll handle over the next uh, probably three weeks, is, in my opinion, among the most challenging to live every day. It's a beautiful text of Scripture. It's an encouraging text of Scripture. It really talks about the strength and the power of the Lord and how it works in our lives uh, and how faithful God is. We sang that this morning and how right it is to live this way. But this section of Scripture is a challenge uh, to our, to our uh, thinking. It's a challenge to how we live. Uh, it's very spiritually logical. It's very practically logical. And it's all based on the complete sufficiency of the Lord. And yet, when we come to it from our standpoint, and, and we look at kind of the practical application of really living this way, there's no question that, that our humanity starts to recoil a little bit. And we may even look at these absolutes that the Holy Spirit gives us, and we may say, well, I'm not sure those are realistic. I'm not sure the expectations that God has here are, are realistic or even really reasonable. So as we look at these three sections of Scripture over the next month, verses 6 and 7 this week, and then verses 8 and 9, and verses 10 to 13, uh, I want to really encourage us, exhort us, challenge us, challenge myself, that we need to accept the Scripture as it's written. Okay? We need to accept it as our calling and as our commission and as our charge for everyday life. Because if we could get these verses embodied in our life, if we could live out Philippians 4, 6 to 11, I'm not using hyperbole when I say it would absolutely change our lives. These six verses have a tremendous impact in terms of how we live. And I want to say at the outset, this is not unhappy, it's not uh, onerous, it's not a burden, it's not something where we go, good grief, look at what God expects me to do. We need to view it differently. We need to view it with a heavenly perspective, that if we could live these verses, it would be such an incredible blessing in our lives. And we need to believe that God, who can do all things, can do this in our lives. So when the enemy tells you and me, as we're studying even this morning, that, that this is some kind of idealistic extreme, that there's no way this could be possible, that, that, that Rhodes is full of it, that, that there's just not, come on, seriously, how do you expect me to, to actually live this? Listen, Scripture is what Scripture is. And we need to believe not in the words of the one who lies and who accuses and has no best interest in mind for us. We need to listen to the words, the faithful words of the one who sacrificed for us and calls us by his name and empowers us in every way. Okay? So that's our charge at the start. Let's read Philippians chapter 4, just two verses this morning, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
I want to read those again. They're so good. Let's read them again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you may remember last week, if you were here, if you listened to the podcast, that uh, I, I kind of jokingly suggested that verses 4 to 13 are like the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. And the more I kind of go through, the more I, I like that concept. Because here in these ten verses, we have the mindset and the actions of for me to live as Christ. Remember, chapter 1, verse 21 is the theme verse for Philippians. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul's in jail. He's talking about the end of his life. He says, I really want to go to heaven. I really want to be with the Lord. This world's crazy, and I just can't wait to be in the presence of the Lord. But while I'm here, for me to live as Christ. Everything about my life is now to be about serving Christ, representing Christ, talking about Christ, and modeling Christ in every way. So when we see that verse as the theme, now when we get to chapter 4, verses 4 to 13, these are the embodiment of that. This is what it looks like when we live that out. And last week we saw the first three, rejoice in the Lord always, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, and remember that the Lord is near. Today we're going to look at three more. And together, these three uh, tenets, these three spiritual principles that we're going to look at this morning, form together to, to represent what I'm calling the only solution to life's biggest problem. The only solution to life's biggest problem. Now, there are a lot of problems in the world today, right? And there are so many burdens that we carry and so many things that are on our heart and on our mind. So, so when we say, well, trying to narrow it down to, to the biggest thing probably isn't very reasonable. But when we analyze it, when we really come down to the root of everything, everything that is a problem really boils down to one thing, and that is worry. We can call it by a lot of other names, anxiety, concern, uneasiness, fear, being disturbed, and many of those things are absolutely legitimate. We're not trying to delegitimize those things this morning, but, but really everything comes down to the definition, if you look back at the text in verse 6, the definition of that word anxious in verse 6. And that word anxious in the language means to be troubled with cares. To be troubled with cares. Now, there are a million things that are on that list. What are the things that you're troubled about this morning? If you started to make a list of the things that are disturbing your spirit, the things that you're concerned about, that you're worried about, that you're anxious about, that you're fearful about, that, that, that are bothering you, that are, that are really just, just kind of churning up your spirit uh, from, from personal issues to cultural issues to, to political issues. Every poll that you look at about this says that the trends are getting worse every year, that people are becoming more and more pessimistic and more and more troubled about what's going on in the world. And we could name a list, I just wrote down some things, the threat of ISIS, which now has threatened to strike an American, 15 states, global terrorism, uh, all the national economies throughout the world that are weak and, and are diminished personal finances and debt and mistrust of government and, and things like, you know, people are talking about Jade Helm and whether that's real or not and what's going to happen to Christianity. 
and, and, and the breakdown of the family and the redefinition of morality and, and the increase of violent crime, major concerns about health and health care and what's that going to look like and the election. And, and then that's not even talking about our future as Christians, which becomes more tenuous with every passing day. And you're like, well, I came to church to be encouraged this morning, not to think about all the problems. But, but here's where the Lord comes in because the Lord says, I can deal with that. See, I looked at an NBC poll last year that said only 21% of people believe that life will be better for their children's generation. 76% of our country thinks that life will be worse for our kids than it was for us. It's a 13% decline since 1986. People are more skeptical than ever about achieving the American dream. And then that has lasting implications because mental health research says that there's a strong connection between financial and political instability and emotional stress. So anxiety and depression and suicide are all on the rise. And right now we look at the world and we see that there's a prevalence of stress. One, pe- one person I read even said it's become the national anthem. Worry is the new national anthem. So we're stressed out and we're worried and we're anxious to the point that 18% now they say of the population deals with anxiety disorder, 25% of teenagers, 30% of teenage girls dealing with anxiety order. It costs $42 billion a year in our country. We are a stressed out people. We're not calm. We're not peaceful. And experts say that the reason teenagers are becoming more anxious is because society becomes more materialistic. Divorce and the breakdown of the family continues to erode. There's a lack of job prospects. 50% of kids that graduate don't have a full-time job after they graduate. And drugs and alcohol is so available to kids now. And meanwhile, and this this is not my opinion, this is research. Now they say the rise of narcissism and entitlement among young people, which is due to a lack of parental discipline, now has taken away any sense of a high work ethic. Now the younger generation now expects everything to be handed to them without any responsibility. And we can see that. We do see that. And we see where that's taking us. Now that makes this verse, verse 6, even more interesting because the secondary meaning of the word anxious after being troubled with cares, the secondary meaning is to seek to promote one's interests. So part of the reason we're so troubled with cares is because we're too focused on ourselves. Now again, that's not, and let me be clear, that's not to marginalize the reality of clinical depression or anxiety disorders or, or the things that even some of us deal with. But we do need to remember that the Lord can heal any problem, that all things are possible with the Lord. And we need to acknowledge that this morning. How many know there's so much power in the Lord? There is so much power in the Lord. And I think sometimes we don't necessarily believe that. Well, yeah, the Lord's good and the Lord's faithful and the, nothing's impossible with God, but we don't necessarily live that way. God is more powerful than the enemy. He's already defeated the enemy. He's more powerful than any problem, any issue, any situation, any broken relationship. He can solve 
any of it. And, and that needs to encourage us this morning. That needs to be a source of strength to us. Because when we come to these verses and we read them, we go, I don't know. But, but God is saying, listen, this can be a reality in your life. So there are three primary instructions we have this morning in these two verses. I want to encourage you to write some things down. Uh, because again, you learn better and we remember more when we write down as we listen. That's a, that's a fact. So write some things down. Let the Spirit speak to you this morning. Not me. Don't listen to me. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But these are three active commands that we get in verses 6 and 7. And they're active commands to us as believers who have been redeemed and have been transformed by Christ and who live under the power and control of this Holy Spirit. He says, you can live this way. This is eminently doable. So let's go through each one. Number one, verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. Everybody say that together. Be anxious for nothing. The word nothing there in the text means nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Very interesting command. The Spirit is saying, and the Spirit is assuring us that there are no circumstances under which we are to be anxious. Now just let that sit in for a second, because right now our humanity is going, that's craziness. But the Spirit of God, who only speaks truth, who is not uh, using lofted words to try to impress us. He's not telling us something that's not a reality. God doesn't nuance and God doesn't lie. God only speaks truth. The Bible says in John 17, 17, your word is truth. How many believe that? Raise your hand. Your word is truth, okay? So verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be troubled by the cares of life. Now, before we kind of emotionally overreact and silently protest that and start giving exceptions to the rule, yes, good, Paul, be anxious for nothing, but, no, there's no but in the verse. Let's think about why God would say that we should not worry because he knows worry is a problem for us. And it's a problem for four reasons. Number one, the first problem with worry is that it doesn't change anything. You can't alter a situation by being anxious or troubled. You can't change somebody's mind by being tense and worried. All that does is put stress on us in a damaging, kind of faith-stripping way. So God knows that worry doesn't change anything. Listen, if an action has the effect of producing change, it's worthwhile. But if it doesn't, it's futile. And being troubled, being stirred up in our soul to the point where it starts to debilitate us without taking an effective God-honoring action, the Bible says is worthless. So the first problem with worry is it doesn't change anything. Second problem with worry is that it easily leads to sin. Now, listen here because this is important. Why does it lead to sin? It leads to sin because worry is the opposite of trust. And faith is what the Lord wants from us more than anything. As I was studying, the Lord put a question on my, on my heart, and, and I thought, that has to be from the Lord because there's no way I want to ask that of myself, let alone say it to you. 
And as painful as it is, and as challenging as it is, and as much as we'll react to it, here's the question. How can we claim that we really trust the Lord when we're filled with worry, fear, and anxiety? How can we claim, oh Lord, I believe in you. Oh Lord, I trust in you. Oh Lord, you're the reason that I live with all I am. I'm everything, but, 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 but wait a second, because I got a whole bunch of stuff that I'm preoccupied with. And yeah, I'll trust you, but, but, but what about this? See, it's a dichotomy that we have to wrestle with. And so often worry is, is based on the unknown, but the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that when things are unknown and things are uncertain, that that's the time when faith becomes real because we trust the Lord for what we don't see, but we know he is faithful to supply. So, why does God tell us not to worry? One, because it doesn't change anything. Two, because it easily leads to sin. Worry leads to sin because we're showing doubt in his provision. He's made promises that he'll take care of us and he'll provide for us. He says, I provide food for the birds and clothing for the flowers. And and how much more do I care about you? We put up a bird feeder out in our sandbox in our yard and we've got the most beautiful yellow and black birds. I don't know what kind they are. I need to find out. But they are absolutely gorgeous. Every time they fly up, we say, look, there are the yellow birds. Now, I supplied the food, but God supplied it to me. So God's supplying the the food for them. And you know what? If there's not a bird feeder out there, they still live. The flowers come up. We saw beautiful purple flowers in a roundabout the other day. Julie said, look at those flowers. They're so beautiful. God designed each of those. You ever really gotten up close to a flower and looked at the intricacy? God knows every single petal. He knows everything about each individual flower. You mean to tell me he doesn't care about us? Made in his image, he sent his son to die for us. He redeemed us from sin. He bought us with the price of Christ's blood. And he declares us by his name and says, you're mine forever. You mean to tell me he can't provide for our needs? Worry leads to sin. Because when we worry, we're ignoring or just avoiding God's promises. Third, The third problem with worry is it causes us to forget and depreciate God's blessing. I often tell people when they're struggling, when they're asking me for counsel or for encouragement, I say, look back through your life and and actually get a book and make a list. Start writing down every time. If you can put dates on it, great. Start writing down every single time where it was obvious that the Lord provided or where it was obvious that the Lord answered prayer, or in some way showed his mercy and his grace to you. Start with the day you got saved. Write down that date. Here's the day God redeemed me from sin. And then start listing all the times. And keep a running tab. Keep keep a, 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 a log of every time. Every time God answers a prayer. Every time God provides. Every time you wake up in the morning and God gives you breath because he's watched you overnight. Every time you say, God's been faithful to me. Summer, winter, springtime, harvest, every season, and we only have two seasons here, but that's okay because you get the point, right? Every season God provides. Every day God provides. Every night God provides. Watching over us, caring for us, providing for us, ministering to us, encouraging us, challenging us. Every single moment. If you don't have a great appreciation for that, if your heart's not full of that, then start making a list of all the times God provides. Because worry 
depreciates that. Worry forgets that. That's why God continually says to Israel, remember Egypt. Go back. Listen, you guys have gotten calloused and you've gotten cold. You say, I don't do anything for you. Do you remember how I brought you out? Do you remember the ten plagues? Do you remember the Red Sea? Do you remember the quail and the manna? Do you you remember the water from the rock? Do you remember how I led you across the Jordan? What is going on with you? And Israel keeps saying, we want more. Give us more. Come on, God, you never come through. Oh, that has to break the heart of God. Fourth reason worry is a problem, and this one underlies the other three, is worry means the focus is on us, not on the Lord. Being troubled with cares becomes a, a, a heavy burden that wears us down. Think about it. How much peace, how much joy, how much, how much wonderful gratitude and contentment comes when you worry. I, I was worried a lot yesterday. The Lord was convicting me as I was studying. I was worried about some things. The Lord said, how much joy is this bringing you today? How, how much peace do you have, Paul, today as you're sitting here being anxious and worrying about this and worrying about this and you're stressed out about that? How, how is that doing for you? Or is it creating bitterness and, and resentment and, and, and even causing you at times to question me and to question whether I know what I'm doing and to question my provision? See, the only effect of that is to steal our peace and our joy. But when we abide in Christ and we trust in Christ and we yield to his spirit, those issues that seem so paramount to us, they all start to get minimized and we realize how awesome the Lord is. What was your biggest worry five years ago? I know what mine was. I remember it well. What was your biggest worry three years ago? Is that still in play today? Or you go, no, Lord, take care of that. Exactly. What's the thing you're worrying about today that the God of the universe who makes the waves and the sea and knows every bird and every insect and every cloud that's in the sky? What's the worry that you have today that you need God to deal with? You know what? In two months, it probably won't even be an issue. But we spend so much time getting stressed about it. Oh, I'm all uptight. How am I going to solve this? And then it gets done. And we barely even remember to go back to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, for providing. What's the Lord's answer for anxiety? Look at the end of verse 6. Because there's only one solution. We see those first four words, be anxious for nothing. Now, here is the only solution for the first part of the verse. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is one of the most ignored and avoided commands in the Bible. Let me say that again. This is one of the most ignored and avoided commands in the Bible. Prayer is rarely our default. Instead, we fall back on our humanity and our worry, and we try to rationalize and plan in our limited understanding, and we doubt and we fear and we become troubled, even though the Lord has given us 
the greatest resource that we can possibly have. Listen to what he does. He gives us direct, immediate, favored access into his presence where he says, come boldly and come with complete confidence that I will listen and help you. You're going to get churned up. You're going to get worried. You're going to get fearful. Here's my answer to that. I will give you direct, immediate, favored access. You don't have to go through anybody. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to earn anything. You just come directly to me anytime, 24-7. I am here, and you can come boldly as my child and have unlimited access to my presence, and I'll listen and help you. And we say, I don't know. I don't know if I should pray. Here's the question. If we are told that doing that, that going into the presence of the Lord will remove fear and worry and anxiety, here's the hard question. Do we really believe that? With all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, Do we believe that? Now, don't answer too quickly. Of course I do. Because God knows our heart and mind, and he also says, are you practicing that? Because if you believe that, you will practice that. And not only does that mean we'll regularly seek his help, it means that that will be our source of joy and our peace because we know the power of going to him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. In other words, throw it far away. Don't hold on to it. Release it. Get rid of it. And you can do this with absolute confidence because he is willing to take your burden on himself. You want to know how we know that? He proved it at the cross. He took all the burden. The old hymn says, burdens are lifted at Calvary, at Calvary, at Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. He died to set me free. Oh, that's good stuff. God takes all our burdens at the cross, and Jesus bears them on himself and takes them away. So now God says, you can come to me boldly to my throne of grace, and you can be free of the burden of anxiety and fear by placing it on me. And he says, I will lift that, and I've already proved it. I'm willing, I'm able to take your care, and in return, I'm willing to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, and I am faithful to secure you despite all the things that are on your heart because you bear my name. Listen, we know that our burdens and our cares and our troubles are out of line when they become the preoccupation of our mind and when we start to doubt the Lord because of it. He is our heavenly Father, and the Father's role is to provide for his children. My children should not have to come up to me every day and say, Dad, how are we going to pay the bills today? Dad, where's the next meal coming from? Dad, do you, do you, do you, do you have a plan? Because it seems like we're, we're not going to make it. They need to wake up every morning and go to bed every night confident in my feeble provision instead of being stressed and worried. And then I look at that and I say, how much more is the Heavenly Father gracious and able to provide everything that we need according to his riches and glory? 
I shouldn't have to go to the Lord and say, well, God, are you going to provide? God, are you going to help us? God, 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 what about this? Father, Father, if my kids did that to me every day, I would go, what is your problem? Why don't you trust me? Have I always provided a house for you? Have I always provided meals for you? Have, I always, have you always had clothes in your closet? Do you get to go to school? Do I drive you to your sports events? Do, do I bring you to a good church? Uh, why are you questioning me? Listen, think about this humanly now and then translate it spiritually. We go to God and we say, well, God, are you... It's the only solution. Resting in the security of Christ. Christ. 